So the one thing uh, that they never tell you when you do this is that you need three hands. So I've gone for the uh, Britney Spears, you need to be of a certain generation to understand that joke, microphone. Okay, uh, so good evening everyone, or good afternoon. I'm Nathan and with my wife Lucy, uh, we come normally to the 6.30 service, but we are here. So uh, 20 minutes of a roasting and then uh, we'll pop out the other end feeling better, I hope. So what's happened? So let's just do a recap. You know when you go onto your Netflix thing and it says skip recap, and we all do. Give you, anyone who's not been here for the last few weeks, I'll give you a quick recap of Timothy. So to Timothy, it's a letter to Paul, uh, from Paul to Timothy, and so far he's done this. He's reminded him of the qualities necessary to be a faithful minister of Jesus. That Timothy should remember his call and use his gift with boldness. He is to keep the truth, prepare others to follow in the ministry, keep his eyes focused on Christ, hold a sound doctrine, and keep his life pure. There you go. Sometimes the trailers are enough, and we could be done. That's it. Nothing else needed. But we'll move on to the next episode. And in this part of the letter, Paul highlights moral degradation as a consequence of wrong teaching. Moral degradation as a consequence of wrong teaching. So to, countless, uh, to counter a godless world, we must know the truth, stand firm in the truth, and be active in the truth. We'll use that as our application at the end, and to get there, I'll give you a bit of context about why the letter was written and how it was structured, and then we'll go through this passage, and then we'll go into a bit of application around knowing the truth, standing firm in the truth, and being active in the truth. So I suppose my first question is, do you want to affect your neighborhood? Uh, well, it's either effect or affect. I'm never sure which one I want to do, but I definitely want to do something with my neighborhood. So I want to affect the network of people I'm in. I want to affect kind of the workplace. Maybe that, for you, that's your college, your home. And let me tell you a story. Last summer, Rosie, my 17-year-old, and I went to Romania, and uh, we were with this pastor called Attila. And we sat round, and um, he did a pastoral visit. And this woman came to see him, and her arm was broken in the middle, and it hadn't healed properly. So she, she wobbled her arm and told this horrendous story about domestic abuse. And at the end, Attila turned to me and he said, what should we do about it? And with my policeman's mind, I thought of all sorts of things about refugees, refugees uh, women's safe places, putting some cocoon care around so the neighbors could call in. I thought of all of this. And he kind of just smirked at me, and he said, no, we just need to bring the men to church. And so he's got a track record of 100 men in church who don't abuse their wives. And so he says they just need Jesus. So he's affecting his neighborhood, and his solution is the men of the church committing to Christ. So the church needs to be a church that affects the neighborhood, isn't just contained within the walls, but is making a difference uh, to the people who go, go to church to make a difference when they go out. So Paul's model for affecting the neighborhood so he does it with building blocks. And here's the first slide. So the first block is church leadership. I mean, interestingly, this was written 2,000 years ago, but if you went to any kind of organizational lecture on how to create a high-performing team, you'd probably do the same. So if ever you need to do one at work, just copy this bit from um, 2 Timothy. Okay, so the first part is church leadership. On top of that is the church membership. So good leadership will affect good membership. And then it will be the caliber of the believers. 
So good leadership affects the membership, which then means we've got a good caliber of leaders, of, of believers, which will then have an effect, effectiveness to affect the neighborhood. It's super simple. It's the gospel being attractive to unbelievers, living it out uh, owing to a, a solid foundation. So people want to come into church because of the way we're living it out, out of church. So how does Paul do this? What's his method? Well, he does a few. He'll plant a church and then he'll follow up. And he does this either by returning for a visit. We're aware of him doing that. Sometimes he'll just send a letter. Sometimes he'll send a team member for a period of time. And sometimes he'll leave a team member to help establish the church. Well, Timothy has been left in Ephesus to help establish the church. He's what's called, uh, for the theologians, uh, an apostolic delegate. So the apostle was used in the New Testament for an individual in Christian ministry, and the delegate means he's Paul's delegate to that church. So to help us understand the importance of a team approach and the dangers of church built on one individual. So Paul doesn't build it on one individual. He sends different people to help, and lots of different terms are used. Episkopos, meaning elder or overseer. Diakonos, looking after the practical side of church. So it's really important, and just as a side, that churches are built around lots of people, not one person. So it's always plural. There's real dangers where churches are built on one personality, and we see it time and time again recently, where big churches are built on one personality. And it goes against Paul's model, which is to establish the church leadership first. So I suppose the question for us, just on this slight aside point, is as a church membership, how do we see this church? Do we see it as consumers attending to see what we can get out of it? Or as a community working together to help build each other up in Christ and support our plural leadership? So Paul has planted the church in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Timothy's then been sent by Paul to the church to counter false teachings. Timothy, the troubleshooter, gets this letter from Paul. He opens it up and it basically says, get the job done and come and see me in Rome. So some of Paul's letters are to the congregation. This one particularly is to a church leader. So what is it that needed dealing with? Well, it's this reputation of the church with un unbelievers is key. So two things, false teachings wrecking the character of the church and relationship of unbelievers who did not adhere to the gospel. And in this section of the letter, this is all about Paul highlighting moral degradation as a consequence of wrong teaching. So let's work our way through. So verse one starts with, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. So when are the last days? So the last days or the end times uh, are from Jesus' res resurrection to his second coming. So this was written in the end times, just, you know, by a matter of years, but we're still in those last days now. So this is really relevant to us now. And if in doubt, just listen to verses two to four and imagine our world outside these doors. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and they will have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. 
They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. So it describes a world where people put their crown somewhere other than God. So it's the ultimate rebellion against God, putting the crown on themselves. That list bookends itself. It bookends itself with a lover of self rather than God. So it starts with lover of self and finishes with rather than God and then just fills it with some pretty, pretty, pretty carnage in the middle. So two ways to live is a really easy thing to do if you want to do some evangelism. It's six pictures. Uh, if you want to see it afterwards, Google it. It's just a simple way of telling the gospel message. And two of the pictures on there explain this. They have a person living under God's crown and then they have us living under our own crown. So this is Paul warning Timothy of what it looks like to live under our own crown. Humankind will be lovers of themselves, lovers of created money and the power it brings, of themselves at the center of an orbit, boastful, proud, and abusive. It just shouts of human heart's insecurity, a need to puff oneself up, to shout about ourself and our greatness and our success. Last week, Andy described idolatry was putting things above our primary identity. When God is replaced at the center by us, it becomes all about the individual. My truth, my happiness, my rights, my, life, my identity. And this is the complete opposite to Jesus. A servant king, not to be served but to serve. Not a list of rules, but a heart of love. Sacrifice. All in for others. Complete allegiance and obedience to God. Paul draws out phrases about arrogance, but saves the real blow for those who claim some form of godliness. Verse 5. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. Ouch. Last week, Paul told Timothy to flee, and now he commands him, you must stay away from people like that. And after that list, Paul provides warning signs of these people who claim some form of godliness. They're the kind who work their way into people's homes and win confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of sin and controlled by many desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they never understand the truth. False teachers worming their way into people's homes. Gullible people. Here, Paul uses the example of women so stricken by their conscience that they would turn to anybody for help. It sounds familiar. People want to know the truth. They're desperate for understanding. And we have false teachers offering to fill a God-shaped God hole in our lives with fluff. Perhaps this, somebody dies and you're told the deceased person is now a star looking down on you, as if this will give some sort of containment to your bereavement. So we had a young guy in our youth group when we used to run a youth group, um, and sadly, he took his own life. Some months later, his mum was telling us that she was really angry with God. But she still believed in God, 
Because not to believe in God would contradict the promise of that young man being in heaven. The truth can be uncomfortable. It can be tough. But it's still the truth. Verses 8 and 9. And these teachers fight the truth just like Janes and Jambres fought against Moses. Their minds are depraved and their faith is counterfeit. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as happened with Janes and Jambres. So if you're slightly worried like I was, that you've never heard of these two people, and you may have switched off when you were doing Moses in Exodus, then um, don't worry, they're not actually mentioned in the Bible. So um, they were magicians who counterfeited Moses' miracle prior to the plagues. And here's what it says about them. So Moses and Aaron went to see Pharaoh, and they performed the miracle just as the Lord had told them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh in his court, and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh called in his wise men and magicians, and they did the same thing with their secret arts. Their staffs became snake too. But Aaron's snake swallowed up their snake. And then we know we go on then to have the plagues. So why are Pharaoh's magicians a warning to us now in Exeter? Are we entering a new era of persecution for the church? Orthodox Bible teaching is colliding with populism. So where I think 20 years ago the church probably held a bit of center mainstream, it was understood by some, tolerated by others, that same teaching is now seen as radical and even subversive by a vocal minority. So I looked up um, the charity Christian Concern, and in March, a theology lecturer was sacked and threatened with counterterrorism referral. On Friday, just gone on the 16th, it posted that a teaching assistant had won her appeal. She was told by her employer that her Christian beliefs expressed on Facebook regarding sex education and transgenderism were akin to that of a pro-Nazi right-wing extremist. So let's imagine a, a ransacked room. Perhaps this is a crime scene. It's all chaos and mess. You can see how it could have purpose, but it's not functioning right now. Like a world where an imposter has come with false teachings and a counterfeit faith. So living with God as a crown, it needs to be tidied up, but not just to look nice, but to be restored for its original purpose. To be restored for our purpose to glorify God. Chairs turn back up straight so they can be used to sit on. Light straightened so they can illuminate the room. The smashed mirror restored to reflect someone made in the very image of God. Us, content in our purpose of glorifying and not chasing a man-made dream. Of glorifying God, not chasing a man-made dream. So it brings us to our application, and there's three things that I think kind of stand out. And they are know the truth, stand firm in the truth, and be active with the truth. So the first one, know the truth. We need to know what it is we know. We need to know our Bibles so we can counter the false 
teachings. Here's an example from 2018 when Jeff Sessions, the US Attorney General, cited Romans 13 to wrongly justify the Trump administration's policy of separating children from parents at the US-Mexico border. We all know, don't we, the Bible has been used to justify everything from slavery to domestic abuse. We've got to know our Bibles. So I remember as a teenager um, going to other churches and being encouraged by my mother to check out that it was theologically sound. She even went as far as asking for a statement of faith from an American summer camp that my brother was going to volunteer at. So I've kind of laughed about this reflecting back, but she was a real model. The emphasis was on sound theology over everything else because of the disastrous consequence if you get that wrong. So I've kept to this, you know, whether it's um, working at a Canadian Mennonite camp, going to a Church of Scotland Church of Seven uh, in the Highlands, or a super church of thousands in the States. Is what they're teaching true to the Bible? So for me, the packaging is just a matter of taste, but the center of the core Christian truths is non-negotiable. So the second one is standing firm in that truth. So I was recently told by a friend that uh, a potential new work colleague had said, we could do with some more Christians here, you know, the sort who don't take the Bible too seriously, uh, don't really have an opinion on God's design for how we should live. We need to stand firm in the truth. We can't just be blown from one popularism to the next. So when I'm working as a, uh, as a policeman, police officer, uh, I must be without fear or favor. So the reason why we wear a uniform is that we shouldn't really wear, and I never do, wear any badges on it. Because if I wear a Ukraine flag, you can bet the first door I'll go to will be that of a Russian. Or if I wear an anti-Badgercull badge, you can bet that I'll end up going to a farmer who's lost their whole herd. So it's the same with my faith. I've got to stand firm in my faith, not swinging from one side to the other. Jesus was clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But like not wearing badges, I want to stand with that, with real kindness and respect. So 1 Peter 3 reminds us, instead, you must worship Christ as your Lord of your life. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. And then the last point is about being active with the truth. How do we respond to this godless world? So like my friend Attila, the Romanian pastor, were acted with the truth. His solution to all social issues was to tell people about Jesus. And he'd delight as we drive along saying, ah, oh, you see this guy here? He's been in a French prison. He's been in an Italian prison. He's done burglaries all over Western Europe. And now he's my worship leader. <laughs> so he describes it as this hundred men following Jesus and how they are now being countercultural in their Roma gypsy culture by not stealing, not abusing their wives, and not being organized in, in, uh, in organized crime. So what does Monday look like for you? What we hear on Sunday should make a difference on Monday. So how can we be active with the truth and just that to play out practically? 
So I currently work in, um, I mean, it's probably an understatement to call it a pretty alpha team. Um, but I keep seeing the fruitless pursuit of meaning. You know, whether that's the latest podcast by some special forces guy telling us how to be a great dad, or, um, you know, whether it's the need to progress a career to the most extreme kind of professional competence, or in my world, to collect as many qualifications and badges as possible. I see people living this out, this falsehood as though that's gonna satisfy them. And do you know what? I'm not particularly good at um, moving their focus from that kind of desire to do what someone's told them on a podcast to Jesus. But what I do try to do is live it out by being content in my purpose in Christ. So we go back to the first week of Timothy. And 2 Timothy 1.9 says, It is God who saved us and chose us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. So here we got Paul telling Timothy, you've got to be careful of a godless world. It's happening because there's false teaching, so you need to set your leadership right. Once you've set the leadership right, then the next level will be good. You'll get good believers and the callow will be good. And they'll go out from church just reflecting you. And they'll live out the truth in the world where there is a real desperation for truth and, uh, and a real need for it. Amen.